0: To arrest all mimics, my name is Ben Talon. This is the Creative Innovation Podcast. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Are you well? Welcome. Thank you for listening as ever. I appreciate the support. I hope you're having good weeks. I hope you're staying creative and getting up to something very exciting that's making you feel alive and getting you out of bed on these increasingly dark, cold, bleak mornings of ours in England here. I don't know where you're listening from. Uh, I was digging recently into some uh, statistics. I was quite surprised to, to learn that the third. Um, biggest listenership base is in Indonesia that was quite an interesting pleasant surprise, I'm not sure why that is uh, where they're finding the show but it's happy days so welcome Indonesia, thank you for listening the weather this week is 4am photocopies, we've got Dave Haslam coming up on the show, which I'm rather excited about. Writer, broadcaster, and DJ. Um, perhaps most adored for his time DJing at the Hacienda in Manchester, famous nightclub, uh, cultural hotspot back in the day. In fact, the last man to man the decks in that very famous nightclub when it closed its doors. So Dave very kindly joins me to discuss his very rounded creativity. Uh, We're talking self-expression, communication, human connections. Uh, We're talking knowing what projects you're doing, whether they're short, medium, long-term, and the importance of that. We're talking local where we're touching upon um, Brexit, solidarity, what's going to be required after. There's been a lot of talk of that in the press recently. I don't know if you guys saw the... Kind of open letter from a lot of musicians, including Bob Geldof, Damon Albarn, um, basically calling for reason and protecting our music industry and making sure we do not lose sight of things so much that that becomes cut off as an export. Given that we are respected for it worldwide, um, so there's a lot of in-depth discussion going on in today's episode. Quickly, a little thanks to my regular sponsors who make this show free for you guys illustrationweb.com fantastic illustration and animation agency covering all sorts of disciplines from live artworks to murals to fashion illustration to lettering specialists uh, gif makers animators it's going on there are exciting a bunch of people very much in love with the creative industry, supporting it greatly through this show. So thank you, and go and check them out, illustrationweb.com, hatinternet.co.uk, providing fantastic SEO advice, social media advice, URLs, um, domains, all the good web stuff that you need. There's lots of good tips out there in getting you up those Google rankings when you need to have your business found on the internet. Uh, great people, again very loyal supporting the show, been on board for a long time now so appreciate that and they provide us with a digital tip every single episode I thought it was good to look at, in particular, actually, we uh, Dave and I on this episode, we get into the importance of fanzines, and particularly Dave's fanzine, Debris, um, back in the 80s when he was finding his feet as a creative pro. Um, as he'll talk about, he was just a curious person, interested, um, didn't really have a plan, and dove in to a degree with Debris, and used it as his way to connect and make those human connections, and... Um, as you'll discuss, you know, that led to his very famous DJ in also. Um but I think there's something there's a lesson to be learned there. And I mentioned recently on the social media for anyone that follows it occurred to me that this show in in many respects is my kind of fanzine and is a is a very modern medium in in the same respect in that there's a lot of people who are not necessarily qualified to be doing this as such we don't you know i don't have no broadcasting degrees i don't have any kind of audio visual experience but what i do have is a passion for creativity and innovation and a and a voice to to a degree, through my illustration, through my art direction and writing um and I thought, well, why the hell not that the technology's there these days? It's affordable. I know what I'm talking about in a in a sense in terms of the creative industry. I have access to the right guests, and I use this as a as a way of getting to the people I wanna talk to the sh- the stories that i wanna share. so I think it's interesting to draw parallels between a very photocopier and glue kind of you know analog, very cut and paste. Medium that Dave would work in for debris, but actually to look at the way you can apply that to the digital world. So, in terms of picking up these apps that we have now, the tools that we have to give um, context to our ideas and our voices and what we want to say and what we want to champion and who we want to talk about. And I think it's wonderful because the idea these days that you can pull out a mobile phone and and make a sound recording or you can very quickly download a free app that uh, allows you to edit images. On the face of it, some people might complain that it's a little low fi and it's not. You know, professional quality, but what the hell, if that's the way of you working out what avenue is best for your ideas and your own creativity, then I think that's a beautiful thing. You know, the idea that someone who's growing up now in their teenage years, that maybe their, their family doesn't have a lot of money, or certainly a position that I was in as a kid, that they have access to this technology and these tools and can actually celebrate the, the, their world around them before they have the opportunity to get out and see the wider world. Then I think that's wonderful. So it's rather long-winded, but I guess my my tip this week is to make use of those tools and, and and treat them like a fanzine. You know, pour your passion into it, pour your heart into it, work hard, and and who knows the doors that that opens? Certainly been the case for me with this show. It's uh, it's led to to so many fascinating conversations. Not least this chat with Dave Haslam. You know, without this kind of context, without this show, then. I'm just gonna be someone knocking on his door and probably annoying him, but uh but there we have it. So you know that comes courtesy of heartinternet.co.uk. Go and check them out. They have many of their own pieces of advice up there online. Uh, and last but very not least, the Association of Illustrators, strong supporters of the show ongoing support go and have a look they provide business support for illustrators uh, contractual advice they basically get right in there for the stuff that we don't really want to have to deal with but unfortunately we have to from time to time uh doing lots of interesting events too they do showcases they do live drawing events they do exhibitions they do uh local illustrator meetups as i mentioned on the previous episode pip uh, is a new one in bristol so for bristol heads get down there and check that out meet some interesting people get collaborations on the go Um, so there we have it thank you for listening Uh, get us your thoughts on today's episode and any previous shows uh, at Arrest on the Mix on social media channels Facebook Instagram Twitter Uh, what did you think of We Are Willow I thought it was a fantastic little uh, insight into male mental health and and, and the sort of creative outlets that we can use to get around the fact that in you know conversation can be intimidating so thanks to darren and chris for joining me from that project do go and download the album if you get the chance um a different light the project's called supporting manchester mind mental health charity absolutely brilliant work from those boys so uh go and listen to the episode go and help them out and see how you can get involved with we are willow so thanks to those for that um Yeah, I'm looking forward to your thoughts on this one. So, Dave Haslam, uh, like I say, multifaceted creative professional, I guess. Writer, broadcaster, DJ. Um, Grew up in Birmingham in the 70s, moved to Manchester, late 70s, I believe, early 80s, and got stuck in with his fanzine Debris, which led to a lot of interesting experiences, many of which you can read about in his brand new book, Sonic You've Slept on My Floor, which is out, uh, I think it's on a subsidiary of Little Brown Publishing. Uh, go and grab it, it's in all good bookshops, Blackwells, Waterstones, you can grab it online. It's. I've got a copy sat next to me right here, it's a wonderful piece of work. It's uh, some great storytelling, some brilliant experiences, some not-so-good experiences, but it's an open, honest, frank account of Dave's story and, and, and a fascinating cultural time that to this day inspires a lot of people, myself included which I find very interesting it's a time that I didn't grow up in i was i was young at the time when this stuff was going on with you know 7 8 years old growing up in yorkshire a whole different thing going on for me but certainly since becoming aware of manchester and its cultural history moving to preston to study illustration and then moving on to manchester it's hard to Ignore what goes on there, um, and I think it's wonderful in ma- in many aspects that there's still such a love of the Hacienda and that whole acid house scene and the part that Dave played. But what I'm really interested in is Dave's wider creativity, his thoughts on on why he... Treads so many disciplines, does them all very well while he continues to develop with his on-stage interviews. For example, um, he's going to tell us about a little Italian festival coming up in Parma that he's involved with. So I wanted to get into that mind a little bit and find out the whys and and the hows and and how he continues to stay inspired and keep moving. So it's going to be a good one. I I hope you guys enjoy it. Like I said, get us your feedback at Arrests All The Mix on the social platforms. Without further ado, I've banged on long enough. Thank you um, hugely today for spending the time in my studio, coming to chat. We've got some awesome episodes coming up very, very soon. I hope you enjoyed the recent ones. Here we go, Dave Haslam.
1: Yeah, I mean, the new book's gone down really well. Um, It's uh, book number five. Obviously, this one is the one where I put myself centre stage. Mm. And um, as with all my books, i put... Well, as in most things I do, I put a lot of myself into it. Um, and a book is a kind of two-year emotional investment. Mm. And uh, that's, it's quite a major project. Not like like if you're in a band where you maybe, you know, there's four or five of you and the manager who can kind of carry the burden of what mm. you're doing. When you're a writer, it's down to you. Yeah, And um, so you're carrying around this work in your head and you're, and you're working away at it. And then it comes out, and it's uh, obviously it's great if it's well-received. But then it does kind of throw you off course a little bit once it's out, because then all that part of your brain which you've been filled with the book suddenly empties, (laughs) and uh, your routine is disturbed. Um, And actually I'm now at the point uh, where I kind of need a new book, really. I need like a new project to fill my brain back up.
0: It's very cyclical, isn't it? I think it's something that... As you say, it almost becomes a part of just what you do started out as an idea and then it just becomes a, a, a thing that you do
1: well also um i mean it 's thirty five years now of uh self employment in my life you know mm. i 've never had a uh, well i 've had the occasional office type job um for like a week or something but i, I literally haven 't ever had a you know a, a long term job in an office nine to five um And so I've learned various strategies of how to make use of my time. And Mm. I guess people who have a nine to five probably as a part of them that probably yearns to be free as they might see it and be self-employed. But I can tell you a lot of self-employed people at various stages wish that they had what the nine to five has had. You know, I've never had a day's paid holiday. I've not. no one I can delegate stuff to. Um, you know, I'm not really part of a team, it's all down to me. I've got yep. to wake up in the morning and make something happen. And um, writing is useful because it kind of focuses you as a self-employed person and you realise, actually, I do have to do... Uh, I, there's no shortcut, you know. Mm-hmm. So when, I'm, when I've got a big writing project, I, w- I will literally get up and more or less the first thing I'll do is two, three or four hours of writing. Yeah. And as a self-employed person, that's actually quite useful.
0: Yeah, and, and yeah, you mentioned your focus is absolutely crucial, and flow as well, you know. Yeah. Um, writing, is uh, that just personally speaking, I, some other art forms I can flip. I can, if I'm, if I'm hungover, if I'm tired, I can do it. Not writing. I, mm. honestly, it's a real headspace that has yeah. to be. Do you find the same thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, if I'm not one of those people that I kind of has to sit around waiting for inspiration. I am, I'm, if I have a blank page... I can start to fill it, hmm. you know, and, and I've learned again over the years that when you've got when you're writing, uh, the only thing that you have to do is just start filling the blank pages. Yeah. But what might then happen is, um, you know, an hour or a week or a month later, you might delete those pages. But something somewhere uh, is worth keeping, and um, so it's more not so much the headspace as the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and and um, my, and working out. I mean, some people work best. I mean, it's the same for all creative people. Some people work best at night. Some people work yeah. best in the morning. I'm a morning person. You know, yeah. I kind of like. I like to know. I, I don't put much in my diary, and by the t- by the time one o'clock comes along, I've kind of done what I need to do in that part of my life, yeah. and, okay. and the afternoon and evening can be filled with all the other stuff that i do yeah
0: yeah i met mean, what i found really interesting and, and, and as someone who pre- needs variation in, in, in my creative work perhaps it's just the way i'm wired i'm sure it is um i love talking to the people who have a broad panorama of creative mm. disciplines writing dj and the f- yep. fanzine stuff in particular uh, yeah. intrigues me was that a really important gateway for you in terms of Getting a flavour for where you wanted to take your own background and kind of you know from study in uh, literature and writing yeah. and then DJing was that a great catch-all to kind of find out what dynamics worked? And what
1: the fanzine, it? yeah, the fanzine was really important. And uh, I mean, I kind of you know this is um, this is 1983, a long time ago. I, obviously, I knew what a fanzine was, but it wasn't like uh, I could kind of study it. I mean, and now there are lovely coffee table books about fanzines and zine fairs and obviously a <laughs> load of information online. Yeah. But back then, um, you know, you might pick up a couple of fanzines at a gig or somewhere and, um, and and all you had was them as a kind of role model. Or in my case, a lot of it was a kind of almost like an anti-role model. I would bought these fanzines. That were of a certain kind, and I I wanted mine to be a little bit different. And um, but obviously, the writing of the fanzine, putting it together—I mean, you had to do everything. And and again, back then, it was um, you know type everything up into kind of galleys. And glue it onto you know big a two mm. sheets, take it to the printer yeah um you know, and um so the visual aspect of it you had to teach yourself yeah um and but what it did was uh it it opened a, an amazing amount of doors, to be honest, you know mm. i mean um, in that era. Uh, fanzine is very well thought of in terms of how to reach a grassroots committed music, particularly um, community. Uh, so you f- most people who I asked if I could interview said yes. You know, um, you know Morrissey, New Order, Terry Hall, Nena, Cherry. You know, they all said yes mm. because they understood that a fanzine is a very uh, you in uh, know, intimate way of, of communicating and connecting. Mm. Um, and, um, I can't, the other thing with fanzines is I learned that I wasn't great at deadlines. <laughs> um, and, uh, but with the fanzine, I kind of created my own, you know, yeah. but I, I've looked back at a few and I'd kind of write, write in one, you know, I'd write a note in the, at the end of one saying, you know, next issue due out Whatever, November '84. Yeah, and I would go to the next issue. It's dated (laughs) February '85. Uh, So I don't, you know, I I guess self a lot of self employment is also about trying to create your own deadlines.
0: Without doubt, oh my god, you have to, you really have to marshal yourself. And I said to someone that I'm the the biggest asshole boss I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to be. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it can very easily become what I just done with the last few
1: And also, if you you know, creative. I mean, obviously, this is more to do with the you know, writing or painting or or or, 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 or uh, composing music. You've also got to know eventually when you stop. You know, you've yeah. you've got to kind of go. Well, this is, you know, I've, th- this is the final sentence. Or yeah. And um, and and also then to immediately move on.
0: You, know. you do. You have to. You have to make decisions, and I find there are tipping points between mm. certain aspects and times. In which, I mean, in which case, I you know, I, I know so many people who have a, a mirrored version of what seemed to be in your story that there, there was an accidental fall into DJing, in a sense, yeah. in that you were in that environment through the fanzine. Yeah, um, was it? Um, Oh, what's the name? Barry didn't turn up. Andrew Barry. Andrew Barry, yeah. yes. Yeah. Turn up. And you fell into it. I know very similar stories to that, but then was there a conscious point when you had to make a decision to start pushing on and that felt good, that felt right? With the DJing. To the, from sort of fanzine into DJing. I mean, was that what, did you ever balance the two equally and find that would become an issue? Or?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't remember... Um... I didn't. I, th- I think the thing was I didn't think that any of the decisions I was making were momentous or life changing. They were mm. just opportunities that I like to say yes to. Yeah. So doing the fanzine, yeah, that that um, opened doors. I mean, it was a kind of first time I used to be able to kind of go into the and meet the management and mm. be known. I was known as Debrie Dave, you know, <laughs> and then, um, and, and also people used to, I, I got in with another little crew who used to put on gigs at a club called the Man Alive. Um, so I actually got really, the DJing became more serious when I became involved in putting on bands. Um, and that was because, uh, the little crews that I was involved with putting on bands, they were little bands in small venues, but sometimes we decided not to have support acts and, so I would just provide the entertainment. Hmm. And so I kind of, I don't even know if at that time I called myself a DJ. I was just like the guy that warmed up. Yeah. And I had the records and the time. And we kind of had different roles to play in putting on gigs. And mine was just, yeah, um, warm-up DJ guy. And then <laughs> um, then also, obviously, when the band had finished, then you got to put you know, music on. Yeah keep people there drinking and dancing. And um, and that was really how I learned my trade. Mm. And it was very mundane beginnings, you know, compared to... I mean, I think a lot of DJs, as you say, might have fallen into it like that, but then a lot of DJs also think that, you know, it's such a big career now, which it wasn't then, mm. that they go through the whole kind of palaver of... You know, buying high-spec equipment and doing mixtapes and, mm. you know, and uh, getting themselves known and, and you know, and, and you have to. I'm not saying you don't have to, but I'm just saying that I'm lucky in that I was around in an era where, you know, if you had a, a cardboard box big enough to fit some 12-inch singles in uh, and you were willing to carry them into town and, and play them until the last person had gone home, you got a gig. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: it's interesting, and, and I also—I also, um, think there's a great lesson, in my opinion, there that, that if you're around the scenes that you aspire to, kind of somehow be a part of, or even just love and enjoy, and are willing to take opportunities when they come, you know, then there's yeah. something about that. And, and I found particularly in early years, and I know this is a common thing—you know, you have these big end game goals, and because you're so focused, you don't see what's there at the yeah. in the peripheral when actually there might be this complete offshoot where that just connects with some partner. Yeah, that, I think. That, I mean,
1: there's a chapter in my book called Making and Taking Opportunities. Um, and, um, and in fact, it's called Making and Giving Opportunities, because what happens uh, at the beginning of what you do is it is very much about taking those opportunities and making them and putting yourself in the right place and just knowing... Not to be you know too pushy and and if someone gives you an opportunity not to let them down and mm-hmm. which ones you take and which ladders are worth climbing and which yeah. ones aren't which doors are worth going through, and my decisions were always based on what would i what did I feel most passionate about. My mm-hmm. decisions were never based on is this going to be lucrative or is this going to be a, a long term thing, I was always thinking i'll take that opportunity and i'll do a great job mm-hmm. and you know so literally when the Hacienda job came up, you know, it, it, it wasn't something that I'd applied to, it, uh, to be a resident DJ at the Hacienda, it was just, um, you know, I was around, as you say, I was around, around the scene, I was doing a little club down the road from the Hacienda called The Venue, and uh, the, in a couple of Hacienda management came down to see what I was doing, and they could see I was doing a quality job and I wasn't some flaky guy, and um, and that's how I got the job. But then you do get at the, what I'm sadly going to have to call nearer the end of your career. You know, when you get to where I am mid-50s and, you know, relatively established and probably part of the establishment part rather than part of the revolution uh, and you kind of accept all that. But what you also have to accept is the responsibility to give opportunities to people. Mm-hmm. And I, I and I do have a little bit of a bone to pick sometimes with some of my contemporaries who, to me, seem like they forgot that way back then people were opening doors for them and mm-hmm. people were giving them opportunities, which they took and they mm-hmm. ran with and they did well or did yeah. success- well enough to still be in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they pull the ladder up from behind them, you know, yeah. and... Uh, and uh, I don't want to be that person, you know, mm. so part of where I am right now, which kind of writing my memoirs helped reinforce in me, was that I kind of realised that now it was about, it's still about me taking opportunities, but also about giving them, um, yeah. almost, I kind of feel like if you're a creative person, you're part of a bigger project, which is about uh, making the world a better place mm-hmm. in some way and that you know you're you're a part of that and you have a certain amount of time to uh contribute and then you pass the baton on like a relay race to the next lot of people yeah. and and so that the that world of making the world a better place that process um moves on mm-hmm. and so uh so yeah opportunities are a big thing big thing
0: I'd agree um, wholeheartedly. I mean, I think, particularly the world we're living in today. You know, with a, as a person with an introspective creative mind, I get troubled by a lot of things now. Whether it's politics, environmental, there are a lot of things. But I've also been a great believer in that in the power of that of creativity, and, yeah. I, and it's not just about we all go and do graphic activism, but it's about making people feel good to me and, and to making sure people feel inspired and with and with purpose. Yeah. Um, well, look, it's about
1: uh, partly it's about self-expression. I think giving people the opportunity to express themselves is a, a, a really great gift that you can give to people. You know, either as you're, you might be a teacher, you might be an educator, you might be somebody who helps somebody to read or somebody to play music, or, mm-hmm. or you might be providing a, a, a kind of a club or a facility or a space where people can go and feel safe and can, can, can collaborate. Mm-hmm. And giving people inspiration even, so that they can express themselves, because that is in a way the first step that you need to be able to take to feel part of the world yes. is where all that stuff that is inside you and uh, and, and it, whatever mm-hmm. is is creating that stuff it 's not always negative, it could be positive whatever's creating that mm-hmm. stuff inside you you get the opportunity to kind of express it somehow yes. and articulate it even if it's just standing up in a room and saying what you believe. It doesn't necessarily have to be an artistic skill, yep. but it often is. Yep. And So it, I think it's firstly about self-expression and then it's about communication because once, yep. you, self, once you begin expressing you you find people who relate to that. So mm-hmm. you're then making human connections and that's kind of how, that's how the um, the positivity yep. of creativity spreads.
0: I think it's. I think. Um, I think it's so true, and, I, and I'm quite troubled by. Not. I mean, I don't want to get sort of political, but with it, with this current government, yeah, really it really doesn't get creativity from all that I've seen. Whether that's in the education system, but also, I mean, I read a great Guardian uh, article that you'd written about um, about Manchester, and in some respects, still failing people, troubled people, yeah. mental health. I, I've done a lot of work with. And I'll have charities to try and find. Because I think it's a beautiful thing that like artistic expression uh, and you know, emotional outlets are yeah. crucial to some people. Yeah. Um, do you feel, in a lot, of, in a lot of respects, we have the tools today? technology's affordable. We have all these social media outlets. In other respects, I don't see it as much at grassroots level. There was mm. the time, in particular, whether it be late eighties, early nineties, around Thatcher time, it seemed to me that there was a lot of trouble going on, and people didn't have a lot. You know, money. Um, the people a lot might might have been on benefits, but you're not the first person from that era who I've done talk about the Enterprise Allowance Scheme. Yeah. And actually, how that became something that, that enabled people to find the time and space to go and find something they might do or might connect with, and made great use of that. I fear that that's absent today. That opportunity. Yeah, I
1: think that. Um, I mean, uh, although I do think that um, young people are particularly uh, are very resourceful. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think uh, you need all the kind of ducks laid in a row in order for, for you to be able to move on. You don't no. really even need permission, I Quite think you just you crack on. Yeah. And I, so I think that although on the face of it from where you might be sitting or where I might be sitting there might seem to be a load of obstacles um, to, to young people uh, expressing themselves or people generally Um, that isn't necessarily the case. Uh, But on the other hand, uh, I I do feel that um, we are generally, as a society, um, uh, uh, suspicious, can be quite suspicious of uh, alternative ways of thinking and seeing and Mm -hmm. creating. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, and and that's even, you know... um, the proponents of brexit pouring scorn on experts, you know yeah. it's noel Gallagher saying i don't read books uh it it it's those little things which kind of chip away at the idea that creative people or intellectual people or experts or you know people who've got something to contribute but might not be conforming to what you want them to say, mm-hmm. that they're somehow, you know, that that they're wrong. They should be marginalised and their voice is not heard. So we, I think there is there is something, something in that on, on a big level. And I do feel that ed- education. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day. I just think that we have so many social problems in our in our society that in many ways have, have, have got worse. Um, well, certainly over the last ten years, but even over the last twenty or thirty, and and I do think that, you know, kids going to school are often not, you know, in a good place in their family background. They get to school, and schools are underfunded, and you know, kids aged fifteen and sixteen are not just are just not given, you know, they're not even given the basic uh, tools of how to how to make their way through the world how to be a grown up yeah. you know what i mean i mean it, I, i'm not even talking about qualifications i'm just talk about in, in kind of how to socialize yeah how to uh, feel loved and give love yeah. just like those basic things and and yeah. I, i'm not sure that there are, i'm not sure that the average 15 year old kid is as clued up now as they once were and we haven't really got time to pinpoint why but it's just that feeling that I have that, that we um, that we are letting down those people.
0: Yeah. I mean I've, I've heard you sort of say before that how important sharing is and in, 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 in the you know in the respect of, of creativity and, mm. and in the arts and in terms of expressing your love or your affection of a certain topic or a subject. Yeah. yeah, you know, there's something about that intensified exam pressure and unnecessary mm. you know, I think dunno, maybe there's more weight on shoulders these days and and this uh, again, it's, it's another common threat, So I don't really want to go, go there again. But the, the social media thing and this this facade of these beautiful lives that people present online and yeah. making people feel like they've got to be something they're not. But also,
1: I think a lot. I think I just think that generally in families, there's a lot of struggle. You know, uh, I think that you know, uh, say, you t- I mean, obviously not lots of lots of people don't live in a traditional family unit. But even if you do live in a traditional family unit, you know, I just think that a lot of them are quite dysfunctional. For reasons to do with the exterior world, you know, where you know parents are having to go out to work, Often people aren't getting paid enough to do jobs which in the past would have paid them enough to live on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a constant hand-to-mouth thing, yeah. you know. And then you've got, yeah, then you've got your kids put under a load of academic pressure, um, and uh, just you know that even in that uh, domestic world i don't think necessarily for a lot of people things are functioning particularly well mm. um you know and 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 obviously there's kind of visible dysfunctionality in our cities with you know the amount of homeless people the amount of people who are you know who are suffering you can see them not they might not be homeless they might you know be people who you can see are suffering with various kinds of uh, problems who aren't receiving the help that they need and and uh, you know, so I think it, uh, there is a dysfunctionality.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very true. Actually, the homeless thing is a real, you know. I mean, it's encouraging to see an increasing amount of work, at least on the surface, being done to help it. You yeah. know, about various organisations coming together. And I hope that's something that, that, that does improve. Yeah. Um, so just to switch track, the, the you know the whole the, the whole Hacienda time on the DJ in there and this made me wonder I, was, I had Don Letts on the show and he talked about punk and he was I will not say angry but he was quite perplexed he said why is no one why are people still asking me about punk why is there not something in its place is that something you feel I mean you must be asked about that whole time a lot and I guess my question is how do you feel about movements today I, I don't recognise as many tangible yeah, movements yeah but
1: I, I don't know I, I mean I have a I kind of had. A, I mean, Don is older than me, and and obviously, you know, he was around in the punk days, and um, I, I always kind of slightly worry about older people looking at the modern world yeah. and, and saying, you know, why aren't the kids doing things as exciting and revolutionary as we are? True. And I always think that's a little bit smug, um, and who you know, and maybe they are, maybe you just don't know. And that's kind of how I feel, because after all, you know, it was less than well, it was 10, just over 10 years after punk, that Rave came along. Mm -hmm. So actually, in terms of what's happened since punk, lots has happened since punk. Yeah, you're right. And, uh, you know, just in my own experience, you know, I'm just at that age where I was aware of punk and what that did and and the revolutionary moment that was and how and the cultural change and the DIY ethic and the new bands and all that um you know I actually got and understood. Um and, and then as I, I kind of saw something, you know, in many ways similar, but in other ways very different coming along with, with rave culture. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, I think that sometimes it might not be necessarily to do with why is the activity not as exciting and revolutionary as it used to be? And it's more, has anyone found a way of defining what's going on? Yeah, that's you know, a great point. Because there was lots of stuff happening in punk that actually wasn't very punk.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. how
1: punk was doc- was Dr. Feel good punk or was that kind of pub rock? Was the Buzzcocks punk or was that new wave? Yeah, you know, were the slits punk or were they reggae? Yeah, you know, yeah, were the Clash punk or were they rock and
0: roll? That's true. It's bracketing it, um,
1: it. You know, and so and the same with rave. You know, so sometimes it's it, it's yeah. It, it, in in those days, it was easy. Con- like with punk, it was easy to control and come up with a title because mm. the only people really talking about music were two or three music papers. Yeah. and on each of them they had four or five journalists who had a little bit of power and Naus and between them they could create titles for things yeah and you know and and make sense of it and create a narrative and a mythology so sometimes it's that
0: there is that yeah and, and we're exposed to so much today now we've got the entire world on the you know our yeah. desktops and the rest of that so, so actually yeah I mean there's so much Fast and Furious going on that perhaps yeah. it's hard to ever stop you know you
1: could look at you could look You know, I mean, uh, again, in answer to Don, I'd say, well, what's hip-hop?
0: Well, there you go, yeah, that's very true.
1: I mean, you know, and hip-hop, you know, hip-hop has lasted and and re-energised and and come round and made sense and gone global and and gone into whole kinds of different areas over the last 40 years.
0: And dubstep, yeah, that, you know. That yeah, and, always... and
1: on the one hand, it's kind of, again, it's created the means of self-expression on a very street level mm-hmm. with kids all around the world. It's also become, at various times, the most lucrative music genre in the world. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's also got the whole lifestyle thing of clothes, dancing, graffiti, yeah. haircuts. Of course, yeah. Um, so...
0: There we are, lots of stuff going on. It's very true. So, how do you. Um, I always equate magic to creativity and that feeling of this discovery, and, 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 and when you know, I'm sure you get it yourself, whether it be it writing or whatever it might be, just when you're in that momentum and it's a beautiful feeling that you're creating something. How do you keep that going now? You know, I, I mean, you do a lot of different things. I, mean, I love the interviewing on stage, I think that's fantastic. And you're yeah, very, very good uh, at that. I don't know. I mean, I think I do.
1: How do I keep it going? Well, uh, I'm just in the zone, really. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm in the zone of... I still uh, understand that I have to make my own look, I have to make my own life. I still, if I, do, if I have an idea, I kind of... You know, I, 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 I try and deliver it. I mean, yeah, in the last uh, ten years, I've done a lot of on-stage interviews, which, which events that I've organised... Marketed, hosted, mm-hmm. you know, with um, you know John Lydon, David Byrne, uh, Viv Albertine, uh, Raymond Carver, all sorts of people. Will Self, Maxine Peake, um, and they're you know they're people that I genuinely am interested in. And I guess it in you know in the mid '80s I was putting on bands, in the mid '90s I was putting on DJs, and now. I still love putting on events, and I still put on bands, and I still put on DJs, but also mm-hmm. I sometimes put on these on-stage yeah. interview events. Um, so it, it they're, they're all just ideas that pop into my head when I'm sat having a, a, a coffee, or sometimes it's somebody else will say, yeah. do you know what, why don't you do X, Y, Z? And I'm like, why not? Yeah, You know, like, in um, the end of October, um, I mean, I don't know when you're going to upload this, so, but anyway, end of October, uh, I'm uh, curating a four-day festival in Parma, in Italy, in an old oh. church. Oh, wonderful. Just literally because I kind of, I met a guy and, and I liked him and he's Italian and and it was about two years ago and I had a... Shared a bottle of Prosecco with him in the back streets of Bologna, and we were like, "Let's do something." And um, and uh, and we kind of yeah, we've done a couple of little little things, and um, and and we're doing that. And it's kind of you know we're showing a film about New Order, we've got a couple of bands playing, DJs, discussions, and that's just that just yeah it came about through. You know the same sort of conversations that lots of creative people have, where you're yeah. like, "Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that?" Yeah. You know, and sometimes all that happens is someone just, you know, whatever. Yeah. Goes home or skins <laughs> up or you know gets a gets a, you know a tax bill and thinks, "Okay, this is reality." Yeah. <laughs> and, and and it's all you put to one side, and I still have lots of stuff that I don't deliver on. But occasionally, <laughs> yeah, I just pick up. Up on something and, and run with it. Yeah. And this thing that I'm doing with Mauro, I, I'm not making any money out of it. I mean, I'm 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 getting five days in Italy. Yeah. And and I'm getting to kind of do a few interesting things and get involved. Mm-hmm. But I'm not making any money. But already he said, oh, I want to do this twice a year.
0: Mm.
1: And I think that's what you ha- you learn as a creative person that that that. You have to... Again, we talked about earlier about opportunities. You have to know what projects you're doing, whether they're short-term, medium-term or long-term. Mm-hmm. And I, I love long-term projects. Yeah. I love getting involved with something at an early stage and helping to build with it. And in, in the expectancy that uh, some years down the line mm-hmm. it will be more successful and we'll all be earning from it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's, there's quite a few things... That, that that's been the case really
0: there was, there was a, a wonderful comment that I can't even remember where I saw it but about um, a personal accolade I've, I've played a gig in Chicago and um, the promoter saying to you that it was the, the, better, you know, the best bounce mix of black and white people in yeah. the room at that time which I thought was wonderful Kyle can but, but mention with everything that's coming up with the whole Brexit thing as a, as a, as a creative now I've, I've had the best time in this industry because I've met so many people from all over the world in this country mm-hmm from the time I started going to London with my portfolio running around yep. the place. Um, it's something that I feel quite strongly about protecting as we move forward, no matter what comes of all this bullshit. Um, how do you feel about that? And, and do you feel that the creative industry has got a role to play in healing any wounds that are going to come from this? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, I
1: think the Brexit thing is, is so unpredictable. Um, uh, I mean, the only thing that I think we can predict is that it's already proved to be... A total disaster, mm-hmm. um, but uh, how people will respond, um, I don't know. I mean, I think um, what, you know one of the big changes since I started out 35 years ago is that back then you had local. Yeah, that's all you had. Yeah, you had the local fanzine, the local band, the local DJs, the local listings magazine. There was something very wonderful about that because you could incubate loads of great ideas mm-hmm. and everyone knew each other yeah. and uh, there was a sense of solidarity, you know. So, you know, bands would share rehearsal rooms and, you know, and the same person would do all the videos for everybody and, you know, the guy that listed the magazine would have a, a, a job at NME and, mm-hmm. and it, it was kind of very small scale. And also in Manchester, particularly, you weren't bothered about what was happening anywhere else. So it was actually quite pure. Mm. You know, you weren't thinking, "Oh, what are they playing in clubs in London, or what are they playing in clubs in Liverpool?" So all that was really pure. But so, but where we are now is, you know, so different to that because we're aware of what's happening as a creative person, always aware of what's happening globally. And you've had the, you've got the potential to collaborate. Globally, you know, whether it's me with my friend Mauro in Italy, you know, or it's going over and DJing, and, you know, or it's writing or, you know, and, and in lots of other ways, all, all creative people are used to that. So there's a kind of local global thing, which is actually now part of how we operate. Mm. And I don't think, and that's why Brexit is in a way such a, such a blow, because it, it seems to kind of be a rollback of the advantage that we all gained uh, by being both local and global, and having and having the, all the opportunities and potential of both of those, um, and so I think that it's uh, again I can go back to that word resourceful. I just think people will be resourceful. Really. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I, again, it seemed like all around that particularly late eighties, early nineties, that there was a lot of. I mean, sort of, I mean, sort of time period. Any any, any time period. Adversity brings resolve, doesn't it? And, and yeah. it? and it sometimes draws necessity off people. Yeah. And there's a bit of a great role, you know, that necessity plays in innovation.
1: Yeah. No. I, yeah, I agree. And you know, um, that's really what uh, I mean. I kind of go back to. I mean, there's always examples. I go back to uh, the playwright Sheila Delaney, um, who was 16 year old working in a milk depot in Salford, who went to a play in Manchester, uh, quite a mainstream play, didn't like it, went home, thought, I'm gonna do my own, write my own play. And age 16, working in a milk depot, wrote A Taste of Honey, you know, which a couple of years later got turned into a film, and and it kind of changed British theatre. And she made, it came out of nothing. Absolutely came out of nothing, and all it came out of was her absolute desire to make her mark and, and, and make her voice known. And uh, and no one gave her permission, no one gave her an Arts Council grant, no one gave her a blue pass- passport or any, you know, she just yeah. did it. Yeah. And I kind of think, well, that's actually that is for me, that's where um, you know radical independent. Manchester started not at the Sex Pistols game, but at, you know which is renowned for mm. where all the bands went to in 1976 but at that that yeah. is a remarkable little story but that that is really what you know um, really front line hardcore creativity is about
0: it is and it shows Yeah, it's a bit adapting it's responding to what's around you at any given point and how you feel about it Yeah,
1: um, wonderful so uh, yeah so I'm On a practical level, I actually in terms of DJing, uh, DJing abroad has always been a bit of a pain, bureaucracy-wise. The French love their bureaucracy, (laughs) so if you ever get a a, a DJ gig in France, you end up with a PDF of ten pages (laughs) to fill in, and (laughs) then and then they still take a third off your fee for some unknown French tax. (laughs) Um, But you let them because the food's good, you know. Yeah. And um, so <laughs> that won't ever change.
0: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, well, the last thing I would ask you, actually, but um, I, I really love for your appreciation of ordinary and extraordinary. I think it's wonderful, and I've always had that. Myself, um, I mentioned to you earlier, I met Paul Postle the other day. I did a lot of Blur's early photography. And it, t- it just a complete coincidence, but the favourite image that he took of them was in a greasy spoon in Wolverhampton. Right. And, um, and as a kid... That had gone from having right-side Fred and Michael Jackson and Shaggy on the yeah. uh, cassette collection yeah. to suddenly finding blur with this stuff I could relate to. And that yeah. image in particular, for the back of that, I started taking my friends down the local trucker's cafe just because I like, thought it was cool yeah. to sit in there in a Harrington jacket and, yeah. and, and drink bad tea. And um, you seem to have some good stories of that crossover of extraordinary and, uh, and, and ordinary. Have you got any that come to mind that you can share? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I just think it's... Um... I mean, it, it is that combination. And I think we, in a way, we are all ordinary and extraordinary. Yeah. And I think that, um, uh, you know, as uh, some, but some, sometimes we don't always acknowledge that, you know, and it can be bad in both ways. If you think you're just kind of ordinary and you haven't got anything, you haven't got that spark or that star quality, then you might be missing out on mm-hmm. something. But similarly, if you think you're... Extraordinary and a star, then you really need to understand that in many ways you're very ordinary yeah. as well. And um, but that that combination, I, I, you know, took, I mean, even the title of the book Sonic Youth slept on my floor. Yeah, you know, the idea of that is to capture what you know what we're talking about. Is that you know there was this, this this band that you know David Bowie later said was you know the most important band of the 1980s and a band that kind of was key to, you know, what happened with Nirvana afterwards. And, you know, in many ways they were, yeah, they were just, a, you know, such an important band. And, uh, you know, June 1987 I was making them cups of Nescafe coffee and and they were bedding down for the night on my armchair and on my yeah. floor. <laughs> and looking back, actually the the memory of that experience and similar ones is that mix mm. and actually it's probably only now that I think of it as an extraordinary thing um, you know uh, uh, back back then it was just like oh alright there was this band they're getting paid whatever they got paid for the gig they haven't got enough money for a hotel why don't they sleep on my floor yeah. <laughs> and and um, uh, and yeah so that that so i I do like that I like that uh, that combination, and it's still you know it's still kind of for me it's it's still uh a case of almost every time I step out, especially you know that's what the event world is like that you know the event world in a way is very ordinary you know you you you're concerned when you do a DJ gig you're concerned you know have I got my tunes, mm-hmm. what time do I have to be there? How am I getting to the venue? Am I getting picked up? Do I need a taxi? Can I walk there? Yeah. Has my hotel got Wi-Fi? Uh, is breakfast included? <laughs> have I got a clean shirt? Do I need to iron it? It's so true. And you think about all these things and then you, you turn up and you're still thinking about mundane things. You know, have I got the little adapter at the end of my <laughs> headphones? You know, am I, am I used to this mixer you know, are those drunk people standing right next to the DJ who's going to move away because they're really going to do my head in if they stay throughout <laughs> my set? How am I going to get paid? You've got all these stuff, and then you play music. Mm. And if you're lucky, something amazing will happen, something extraordinary will happen. And all those strangers in the room are all going to come together. They're going to love your tunes. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be the best experience, hopefully, of the week or the month or even of their life, if you're lucky. And you're going to absolutely buzz off it, and they're going to buzz off it. Uh, And so it's kind of ordinary and extraordinary at the same time.
0: Mm -hmm. It really is, so you couldn't put it any better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, that's been absolutely wonderful, and I really appreciate your time. Cheers, thank you. uh, And lastly, where can people pick up the book, of course?
1: And the book is available uh, online, uh, booksellers who pay taxes, and also the ones that... Uh, don't pay their taxes. Waterstones, Blackwells, all good bookshops.
0: Brilliant, and I'll keep an eye out for the uh, the links to the Palmer Festival and share that around as well. Yeah, nice one. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Cheers. Thank you so much for Dave for taking the time to come down to my studio and chat. It was a, an honour to be sure. Uh, great stuff, many topics covered. I hope you enjoyed it. Get us your feedback, please, on the social media to rest on all, the, all the mix and all the standard platforms. Um, keep the suggestions coming for where I should be putting this show. I, I put a call out on a recent episode about where I should be hosting it. There are many different podcasting platforms that people like to get their audio content, so let me know where you listen and where I should have it because I want to cover all bases and make sure that it's reaching all the people it should be doing. Uh, increasing amount of talks, it seems, coming up at the moment. Did a little uh, little speak out speak out that's not even a word is it did a little shout out at the at the Petra night on the 10th of October um just getting it around now going grassroots starting to get it out to universities so again let me know where I should be spreading the word of the show and please help me in doing that drop us a little review on the iTunes if you get a moment tell a friend if you think they're interested in creative industries creative thinking uh, innovation it's all going on this show so let them know it's a free resource get it out there help me out cheers thank you as ever for tuning in big thank you to the sponsors uh, illustrationweb.com heartinternet.co.uk and the association of illustrators brand new marketing campaign coming up with gf smith the flyers are in hand now there's going to be a poster showing hopefully at design manchester coming up very soon i hope to see you there it's going to be absolutely fantastic lots of great speakers lots of great events so come and join us give us a shout if you're going to be in there hit us up on the social uh, and we'll meet up it's going to be good stuff um have a great week guys thank you so much for listening thank you once again last time to Dave Haslam and all recent guests enjoy chat soon